You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. I'm done chit-chatting. Y'all ready for the Word of God tonight? Let's get into the Word of God. If you have a Bible with you, raise your Bible up in the air. Okay, let's go. If you have a journal, being transformed journal, physical journal of any kind, I see you. Okay, let's go. You can go ahead and turn with me over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We are in week number 8, y'all. Somebody say 8. We are in week number 8 of the longest series that we've ever been in and New Song students called The Way of the Spirit versus The Way of the Flesh. And this series has been incredible. My prayer has been that each and every single one of you guys have heard the voice of God in this series, that the word of God has come to life in your life throughout the last eight weeks. And if you're just now jumping into the series with us, we are focusing completely on these nine qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to grow inside of every single believer. Somebody say every every single believer, and they are called the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit. And it doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus. doesn't matter how tall you are, what kind of family you come from. doesn't matter how good you think you are at Fortnite. doesn't matter. Uh, it, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many days you've done your Being Transformed journal this week. The, the, the fact is, if you are a born-again Christian then you are the perfect candidate to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that's good news, amen? If you're a born-again believer, you're the perfect candidate to grow these qualities in your life. And these are qualities that should be found inside of every single believer. They can and should be inside of every single one of us, but they don't come from us working hard, being perfect, because if they did, they would be called the fruit of, and then insert your name, right? but they're not called that. They're called the fruit of the Spirit because we only grow them in our life when we're connected to the Spirit. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the fact that the world wants to grow the exact opposite kind of fruit in your life and in my life. And so we're taking a good hard look at the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the world, and we're seeing what God wants to grow in us. And tonight, we are looking at the way of gentleness. Somebody say gentleness. Versus the way of roughness. The way of gentleness versus the way of roughness. Now, I told you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. So let's go ahead and dive into God's word tonight. And if you've been paying attention throughout this series, you might have recognized that I didn't go to Galatians chapter 5. And so you may be here and you're like, Pastor Jackson, I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I'm not not, not trying to embarrass you, but you turned to the wrong passage. Like, like the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter 5, and you told us to go to 6. Are you, did you forget? It's okay. You probably forgot. It's no big deal. No, 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 no. I meant to tell you to go to Galatians chapter 6. I knew where I was telling you to go. Let's check it out, because there is a gem in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that I want you guys to see. Remember, this is directly after we get the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what it says. It says, brothers, if anyone, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are, what's that word? Is anybody paying attention tonight? You who are what? Spiritual. Spiritual, You should restore him 
in a spirit of, what's that word right there? Gentleness. If you are spiritual, you, re, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Ouch. But let each one test his own work and then he, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay, we are going to unpack this scripture tonight and look at the way of gentleness versus the way of roughness. But before we do, I wanna invite you to bow your heads. We're gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to, to move in our midst tonight, to speak to every single one of us. So Father God, I thank you so much for tonight, for my New Song students family. I remember God, where we started. And when I look at this room tonight and I see a room full of students lifting up the name of Jesus, leaning into the word of God, my heart is encouraged because I know where we came from, God. We came from small beginnings, but amazing things happen with small beginnings. And so tonight, we thank you that you are in our midst, that you are in this room, and that we are opening your word. And so we just pray, speak, Lord. Open up our hearts. I pray that this word would fall on ears that are listening. In the mighty name of Jesus, we wanna know the way of gentleness versus the way of roughness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, amen, amen. Okay, as I was thinking about the fruit of the Spirit this week and with this message in particular, I found myself thinking a thought that you might have thought during this series because it's been a really long series. The thought that I had this week was how in the world am I gonna talk for 40 minutes on gentleness? <laughs> and maybe you've had a thought like that during this series, like, wait, you mean we're gonna spend an entire week on every single one of the fruit of the Spirit? That seems a little, a little over it. Has anybody had that thought? Just be completely honest tonight. I've been there. Okay, some of y'all are not being honest tonight. That's okay. <laughs> not only that, but I had another thought that I've definitely experienced throughout this series, and it's the thought that, it, that they all kind of seem like they're the same thing. Have you ever thought that about the fruit of the Spirit? Like they all seem a lot more similar then they are different. So how are we supposed to spend eight to nine weeks talking about all these? Like kindness seems a lot like gentleness. Patience seems kind of a lot like self-control, if you really think about it. Is there anyone else in the room who has had that thought before? So what we're asking is, what's the, what's the difference? It, are the fruit of the Spirit really different or are they the same? What's the difference? Here's my answer for that. Are they the different or are they same? Yes. You're like, yes, Pastor Jackson, they're the same, or yes, they're different. Yes. Yes, the, the fruit of the Spirit are the same, and yes, they are different. I want to help illustrate this to you. I was thinking about how to, how to picture this physically with, with a real image, and I was reminded of this style of art, of painting called dualism or hidden imagery. Any artists in the room tonight? We've got three artists in the room <laughs> Okay, I see you. I love art. I love paintings. I used to paint, and I didn't paint this stuff. This is some legit stuff. But I brought some paintings to show you from a Russian artist. His name is Ole Shupliak. That's a Russian name right there, Ole Shupliak. And this guy, he paints in a Russian, he's a Russian guy who paints dualism. I want to show you a couple one of his paintings. Let's, let's show the first one. Okay, so this is really cool. What you're seeing right now is, who's that? That's Jesus. 
It's a portrait of Jesus. But if you take a closer look, is it just a portrait of Jesus? Like, no, there's some stuff going on here. We can see there's like some lamby lambs. We've got a cute little baby. We've got Mary and Joseph. We've got the star. So what this is, is this is two pictures in one. We've got a portrait of Jesus and we've also got the nativity scene. Pretty dope, right? This is dualism. I want to show you another one. Check this out. This is another portrait of Jesus. Do you see Jesus's face? It's kind of creepy. But if you look, this is Jesus in the middle. And this is John the Baptist. He's being revealed to the disciples for the first time ever. This is dualism. There's two things happening at the exact same time, which shout out to the people listening to the podcast, by the way. Sorry about you. You're just gonna have to use your imagination. I got two more for you real quick. This one is, do you recognize who that is? Who's that? That's the Mona Lisa. But, but it's not just the Mona Lisa. If we look a little closer, we can see that this is, can you guys see over here? It's not just the Mona Lisa. We've got a landscape. You've got trees that are doing her hair. We've got some birds that are shaping her face. We've got some, there's a, this is a bird right here making her hands. Did you just see it? Isn't that crazy? This is dualism. I got one more for you. This one's my favorite. Okay, so this is, I love Van Gogh. Van Gogh is my favorite painter. And this is uh, Ole Shupliak. He painted this in Van Gogh's style. He painted a portrait of Van Gogh, but this is also Van Gogh painting the Starry Night. Isn't that pretty cool? That's pretty dope, right? This is, this is dualism. Look to your neighbor and say dualism. This is dualism. And this is, this is the picture I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me when thinking about how to understand the differences and the similarities between the fruit of the Spirit. At the end of the day, you got to listen to me, New Song students. I want you to get this. At the end of the day, a person who is functioning and walking in the way of the Spirit should be painting one image to the world around them. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus. We should be painting one image with our life through through the fruits of the Spirit to our world, and that's Jesus. But just like we did with these paintings, as people start to recognize Jesus in our life, they should start to take a closer look at us and see hidden details in our life, hidden details of joy that only comes from God, of patience, of self-control, these hidden images that are all coming together to form one beautiful picture of Jesus. Is this good stuff? And David Guzik says this about the fruit of the Spirit. I love this. He says, it is fitting that love be the first mentioned because love encompasses all of the following. It may even be said that the following eight fruits are just describing what love and action looks like. So in a sense, the different qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, what we're looking at is just the love of Christ on display. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. And all eight qualities that we've been spending so much time in throughout this series are all different. They function differently, but they all come together to paint the same image of Jesus to our world. And when it comes to the way of the Spirit that we are talking about tonight, which is, pop quiz, what is it? Gentleness. Gentleness. Somebody listen tonight. When we're talking about gentleness, it seems like to me, gentleness is a fruit that definitely bleeds into all the other fruits. 
it's kind of similar to all of the other ones. In fact, if you're a pastor like me and you have to preach an entire message on gentleness and you go to look up the definition of gentleness, some theologians will put kindness in there. And that's not fair because I don't need kindness. I need gentleness this week. That's not fair, y'all. And, and while kindness and patience and goodness and all of these things are coming together to form the same picture, what I want you to see is they all function differently. They all function uniquely. And as we opened up into Galatians chapter five, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me some fresh understanding on gentleness. I wanna show you. So let's go back to Galatians chapter six, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, somebody say spiritual. spiritual. You who are spiritual should restore him. If you've got a Bible with you, I want you to circle restore or underline it. Now, that word, restore, jumped out to me, jumped off the page, because if you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about the fruit of goodness. Do you remember this message, the fruit of goodness? And we used that word restore in that message. This is gonna be like a part two to that message. We talked about how goodness seeks to restore broken things back to God's good design. Do you remember that? So what does that mean? If you weren't there, that's okay. This is what that means. Basically, if we are walking in the way of goodness, the way of the spirit, then we are going to start to love the things that God loves and our heart is gonna start to break for the things that break God's heart. That's what goodness looks like. So that means that if you're walking around in your life and you come in contact with a person with a broken spirit, that's a person who doesn't know God. Did you know that that breaks God's heart? A person who is not in relationship is a person that, that breaks God's heart. Why? Because God originally designed every single one of us to be in relationship with him. And so when we're not, that is something that breaks God's heart. So if we're walking in the spirit of goodness, that means when we come in contact with a person who doesn't know God, we should be compelled to do something. We should be compelled to pray for them. We should be compelled to share our faith with them. We should do something. Walking in the way of goodness means that when we find aspects of our soul that are broken. Do you remember what the soul is? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. So when we see brokenness in our soul, so maybe we're struggling with a sin or we're struggling with anxiety, anxious thoughts. When we see that, we should seek to restore our thoughts back to God's good design. What is God's good design? Well, it's for us to be in complete trust with God. The last thing is this, remember walking in the way of goodness means that when we encounter a broken body, somebody who's sick, that should break our heart because is there sickness in the kingdom of God? No. Is there sickness in heaven? No. no, God didn't design us with sickness. So when we encounter sickness, our response should be prayer. It should be to seek for that person to be healed. Is this making any sense? This is good stuff, y'all. And after Paul gives us this amazing list of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, he goes straight into Galatians chapter six by giving us the very mission that every single believer is, is to walk in. If you're taking notes, write this down. All of us, our mission is to restore. That's our mission. Our calling in life is to just restore broken things back to God's good design. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, but Paul doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just say, hey, go restore stuff. He says, I want you to do the mission, 
but now here's the method that you're gonna do the mission. And look at this, this is really powerful if you don't, if you don't miss it. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So listen to me, Paul tells us the goal for every believer is to restore people back to God. But according to this verse, the way that you restore people matters. The way that you restore people matters. And this is something I see believers get wrong all of the time, myself included. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves with a good heart, meaning we want to walk in the mission of God. We want to restore people back to God's good design. But if our method isn't gentleness, then we're off. If we're not careful, we can start to walk in uh, not the way of the spirit, but in the way of the world, the way of the flesh, the wrong approach to a good thing, which is the spirit of roughness. Now, in Luke chapter nine, there is this short little story that gives us a really good picture into Jesus's heart and what happens when we don't walk in the way of gentleness. And it's and it's in Luke chapter nine. And this chapter starts off really great, like really, really great. I want you to lean in with me. Check this out. Look at this. Luke chapter nine it says, then he, this is Jesus. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons. Somebody say all. All, all demons and to cure diseases. That's pretty good news. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So this is how Luke chapter nine starts. Starts off really good. Jesus brings all his boys together. He's like, what up dogs? I'm gonna give you power and authority. You can cast out any demon you want. You can heal any person you want to. Would you say that starts off pretty good? That starts off really good. But for the rest of the chapter, we basically find the disciples failing over and over and over again at accomplishing that goal, all in one single chapter. In this one single chapter, we find the disciples encountering the uh, 5,000, the crowd of 5,000. Do you remember this story? And Jesus, what does he tell them? He says, you feed them. But the disciples, they didn't have the faith. They were like, we can't feed them. Jesus was like, yes, you can. You can feed them. So they failed that test. Then we see the disciples attempting in this same chapter to cast out demons from this young boy. And then Jesus shows up because they can't do it. He embarrasses them in front of everybody. And then he casts the demon out for them. And then directly after that, we find the disciples arguing over who's the greatest. So all of this is happening in the exact same chapter. And then this happens. It doesn't get better. Verse 51, it says this. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I want you to underline that or circle that if you have your Bible. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to the cross. He wants to go through Samaria, but they don't let him. And so his disciples, they get offended about this. They're like, you don't mess with my boy, Jesus. And so look at what happens. When, G when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Yikes. 
But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. So they went on to another village. So would you say just a slight overreaction here from the disciples? Just a slight overreaction. Like the Samaritans reject Jesus and they're like, we're gonna drop a Holy Spirit atomic bomb on you for doing that. And the disciples are like, yo, hold on. Did you just, did you just disrespect my boy Jesus? Jesus, you want me to, you gave me all that power and authority that I haven't even used once yet. But do you want me to, you want me to call down fire on these people? Peter, come on, back me up, Peter. Back me up, Peter. Like they, they overreacted. The disciples in this story, they overreacted to the situation. They misread the heart of God and they responded with extreme roughness towards the Samaritan village. And their heart seemed good, right? Like they're trying to stand up for their boy Jesus, but it was completely opposite of the heart of God. David Guzik says this, I love this. Their offense, even on behalf of Jesus, was not appreciated. So Jesus, Jesus wasn't impressed by this kind of like militant devotion for him. When Jesus saw James and John wanting to call down fire on these people for rejecting him, Jesus wasn't like, wow, you guys really love me. Thank you. I feel so loved right now. Like Jesus was not impressed by that. And what we see the disciples doing is responding to brokenness, which is a good thing. We should respond to brokenness, but we see them doing it in the wrong spirit. I hope you're following me tonight. We see them responding to brokenness, but it's in the wrong spirit. If they really knew what Jesus' heart was, they would have responded to this with gentleness, but they didn't. They responded to it with roughness. Roughness is a method used by the world to fix broken things, but that's not the method we use as believers to fix broken things. Here's the definition of roughness if you're taking notes tonight, which you should be. Roughness is power that is out of control. Power that is out of control. It's caused by the inability to see something or someone as valuable or fragile. I had a friend growing up, one of my best friends growing up, his name was Sean, and I love Sean. He was an amazing friend, but he was a little rough around the edges. You got a friend like this? Don't, don't raise your hand if you're pointing, or if you're sitting next to them, don't point them out, okay? Just keep it to yourself. Anybody know a friend, though, that's a little rough around the edges? He was one of those friends that would just say the very first thing that came to his mind, and then he would think about it later. (laughs) He was the friend that uh, was rough in the way that he loved people, and he was rough in the way that he didn't love people. Like, Sean was that guy that he, when he loves you, he's really aggressive with you. You got a friend like that? Sean would, I can't tell you how many times Sean would just I don't know, get excited about being my best friend or something. And he would just like jump on my back or like wrestle me to the ground. And I would always like end up with like a busted lip or like a bloody nose. And it's because he was rough. Sean was a rough guy. And I will never forget uh, this time when we were in fifth grade. His, his heart was good, but his method was way off. We're in fifth grade and we just got released from class And we're heading out to the parking lot to go get picked up. And Sean and I were walking together. And this kid that was kind of annoying in our class, his name was Matt. He starts coming and walking up to us. And he starts kind of poking at me. He starts messing with me. And I don't even remember still to this day what Matt was saying. It wasn't that big of a deal, though. Like, I wasn't getting bullied. At the most, 
I was just kind of annoyed at what he was saying, but I was like, you know what, it doesn't matter. It's Friday, we're heading to the car, just a couple more minutes of this, and then we'll be in the car, we'll be hanging out. But I don't know what happened, but Sean, in this moment, got really offended. <laughs> he misread the whole situation, and I don't know if he thought in this moment that Matt was like calling me some names or being like severe in his bullying to me or whatever, but things escalated real quick, and before I know it, Sean's cussing this dude out. They're having like a little fifth grade brawl in the parking lot. They're fighting. And then we both, we all ended up in the principal's office on a Friday afternoon, which is like a fifth grader's worst nightmare, right? <laughs> and I say all of that to say, this is how I imagine Jesus felt with his disciples with their rough response towards the Samaritans who rejected him. Like I remember, I remember after this fight, that Sean and Matt got in thinking like, wow, Sean stuck up for me. Like he really loves me. But like, I would, I would never ask him to do that. Like I wasn't thankful that he fought Matt for me. It was cool that he loved me that much, but I wasn't impressed by that roughness. And this was the heart that Jesus had towards his disciples. Their heart was good. It was for Jesus, but their method looked nothing like Jesus. And I think there are two I think there are two main reasons why we walk in a spirit of roughness today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Reasons for roughness. The first one is this, misunderstanding Jesus. The reason why they operated in roughness here is because they misunderstood Jesus. I'll show you why, but I need you to lean in with me. Can we go a little deep in this passage? Is that okay with you guys if we go a little deep in this passage? Okay. We're gonna go back because there is one word, there's two words in this passage that bring us into a very important detail. Look at this. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Okay, so that little detail that this story starts off with is so packed full with meaning if you miss it. And if we'll miss it if we're not careful. What does it say? It says that he is on his way to Jerusalem. And at this point in the story, why is he going to Jerusalem? He's going to the cross. Jesus knows exactly is what is ahead of him. He is approaching the cross. He's getting ready to do the hardest, most sacrificial, most uncomfortable thing anybody has ever done in the history of the universe. Jesus is on his way to experience the wrath of God for you and for me. And so in this moment, understandably, Jesus is starting to get into the mindset almost like a fighter would before the fight or an Olympic athlete would before an event. He's getting in the zone. You ever seen somebody in the zone before? Do they look happy? Not necessarily. And Luke gives us this detail. This is so cool, y'all. He gives us this detail and it says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Other translations say that Jesus steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. And I want you to know, Luke didn't put this detail in here by accident. This is how crazy the word of God is. Luke, in this moment, was confirming an Old Testament prophecy written about Jesus 400 years before he ever showed up to the scene. This is crazy, look at this. Isaiah 50, verse seven. This is the Old Testament, by the way. This is before Jesus showed up. It says, for the Lord God will help me Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Listen to this. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint 
and I know that I will not be ashamed. So Jesus, in this moment, is in the zone. And if you've ever seen somebody in the zone before, they don't look happy. They look angry. I've had plenty of people come up to me and be like, Jackson, you okay? Are you mad right now? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm just in the zone. I'm focused. Have you ever been focused before? Jesus was focused. He was not angry in this moment. He was focused. But as he's preparing to do the very thing that he came on this earth to do, James and John, they see the face of Jesus and they think he's angry at the Samaritans. Are you catching this? They look at the face of Jesus. He's focused, but he's not angry. He's focused because of the cross, but he is not angry at the Samaritans. And David Guzik says this, Jesus hardened his face, not in the sense of becoming hard or an angry man, but in the sense of having focus and having focus through a difficult time. They saw the flint face of Jesus and they thought it meant mean or tough. They didn't understand that it meant focus and being more focused on love than ever before. The flint-like face will end up on the cross in the ultimate demonstration of love, not the ultimate demonstration of anger. I hope y'all are getting this. This is good stuff. And it makes sense why the disciples responded to the Samaritans with roughness. They misunderstood the seriousness of Jesus. And this is the same kind of misunderstanding that I think we see a lot happen in the church world today, specifically when we look at broken things and when we look at sin. We see the seriousness of sin. Would you agree with me that sin is a serious thing? Brokenness is a serious thing. We see that those are things that God hates. God hates sin and he hates brokenness. And then we see people who are broken, people who are in sin. And we think that God's hate for sin is God's hate for sinful people. But God's hate for sin is not the same as God's hate for sinful people because God does not hate sinful people. We forget that God died to save sinners. Like sin is no joke, sin is real. Don't misunderstand me, but there are too many Christians who are in a spirit of roughness, roughness towards people in sin because they think that God's, they misunderstand God's heart towards people in sin. They think that God sees the sinner the same way he sees sin. But if you're taking notes, write this down. God's seriousness against sin is not from a place of roughness or anger. It's from a place of deep love for the sinner to be made right. That's why God is serious about sin. And you need to know God doesn't start loving you after you get saved. God doesn't start loving you when you start living for him. There's a difference between God loving you and you being in right standing with God. Because remember, God sent his son and died for a world who was not in right standing with him because he loved them. But when we are loved by God, that is because of only him. It's not anything we can earn. And this is the danger we can fall into as believers. We think that we've earned the power and authority God gave us. Remember how Jesus started off that chapter? He gave the disciples power and authority. If we're not careful, we can think we earned that because of how much we did our BT journal this week. 
We can think we earned it because of how many weeks in a row we went to New Song students. But that's not how we earn the love of God. We don't earn the love of God. And what happens if we're not careful is we can misunderstand the seriousness of God towards sin and point that at people who are apart from God. And yes, God is serious about sin, but his seriousness against sin is from a place of deep love for people. Number two is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. We misunderstand worth. We're rough with people and things because we misunderstand Jesus. And we're also rough with things because we misunderstand worth. Can I share with you a pet peeve? (laughs) Is that okay? Here's a pet peeve of mine. Somebody walking around with the, the newest iPhone naked. Not, they're not naked. I'm talking about, I'm talking about their iPhone is naked. You know what I mean? Hey, you know what I mean? There's no screen protector on that thing. There's no phone case on that thing. They've got the brand new iPhone and it's just naked. That thing is naked. And you know what those people will tell you? They'll be like, that's fine, I never drop my phone. Have you ever said that before? (laughs) They're rough. They're rough with this thing that is of great value. And they say, oh, it's good, it's fine. I won't break it, I never drop it. But listen to me, New Song students. I've been that person and it is only a matter of time before that thing is broken. And I think this is a picture of the way we treat people. I think this is a picture of the way we treat people. You know, it's extremely easy to be the roughest with the people that are closest to us. We're rough with our friends and and we're so sarcastic with our friends, but we say things like, it's fine. We do this all the time. We're just playing, but I'm here to tell you tonight, it is only a matter of time before brokenness shows up there. If you are rough with your friends in that sort of way, you can say, oh, it's fine. It's just a joke. It's no big deal. It is only a matter of time before brokenness shows up into that friendship. We can, fall, we can find ourselves being rough with people, like this verse, who have fallen into sin. We're rough with them. Instead of coming to them with gentleness, like we're told, we gossip about them. We're rough in the way that we talk about them. We're rough in the way that we don't do anything to help them. This is a roughness. We can find ourselves being rough towards people who reject God. We think that because they've rejected God, God has rejected them. But that's a misunderstanding because God has not rejected them. If they're still alive, they have not been rejected by God yet. God sees them and wants them to be a part of the family of God. New Song students, do not misunderstand the worth, the infinite worth that God has placed inside of every single person. Every single person. People are the prize for God. Look at this, Matthew 10, 39 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Psalm 139, one of my most favorite passages in scripture, says, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Are y'all okay if we read the word of God tonight? My frame was not hidden from you in your sight. When I was being made in the secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when I was yet none of them. The disciples, I want you to see that they've been given a call and they've been equipped. They've been given the power to do that call, but they didn't respond with the right method. They responded with roughness. They misunderstood the heart of God and then they misunderstood the worth of the Samaritans. They misunderstood these things. Their roughness did not impress Jesus. It didn't restore anybody back to Jesus. In fact, they wanted to eliminate the possibility of these people ever being restored back to Jesus by burning them alive, which is dark, y'all. That is roughness. But this is not the heart of God. This is not how God has called us, New Song students, to walk in. Now, I wanna move into gentleness. I find it very interesting. I hope you do too. I find it very interesting that after Paul just listed nine different qualities about the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them, he only lists one in verse one of chapter six. He could have said any of them. He could have said, when a person falls into transgressions, you should restore them in a spirit of patience. You should restore them in a spirit of joy or self-control, but he doesn't use that. He commands us to do it in a specific spirit. And what spirit is that? Gentleness. What's the definition of gentleness? Gentleness is this. It is power under control. You have power. It's just under control. Gentleness is power under control. The best picture of gentleness is of a horse. Has anybody ever been around a horse before? Horses are pretty powerful. They're pretty big animals. They're massive. And gentleness, a great picture of this is a horse that's been broken or tamed. So if you have a horse that has gone through the process of being tamed, they go from being a wild horse. Wild horses are unpredictable. They act in fear. They might donkey kick you across the field and kill somebody. Like they have some power in them. But a horse that has been tamed goes from being wild and uncontrollable and fearful to being safe, useful, effective? I've got a question for you. When a horse has been tamed, have they lost any of the power that they had when they were wild? No, it's the exact same horse. They have lost no power. The power is all there. It's just been brought under control. And now it can be used in a way that doesn't hurt others. Are you following me? This is why you can have a 700-pound horse that was once wild but can now have a 50-pound child riding on it and not kill that child. That's gentleness. It's power that's been brought under control. And this is what it looks like when we walk in the way of gentleness. It's recognizing that God has given you and me power, but only using that in a way that actually is effective, in a way that is not harmful, not hurtful, but is effective. And here are two ways. I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. These are two ways that we operate in gentleness with the people in our lives. The first one is this, and I want you to get this. This is so important, New Song students. Gentleness softens my words. Gentleness softens my words. I want to read you a couple scriptures about the power of our words. Evil words destroy one's friends, but wise discernment rescues the godly. Gentle words bring life and health, 
but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat its fruit. So listen to me, choosing to walk in the way in the spirit of gentleness is allowing the Holy Spirit to bridle your words. So what does a horse do when it's been tamed? It gets a bridle, it's this headgear so that the person who's riding the horse can direct the horse to go in a certain direction. That's what allows you to have a 700 pound horse not kill somebody. And New Song students, you may not recognize it, you may not think it, but your words are just as powerful as an untamed 700 pound horse. Your words are that powerful. Your words have the ability to mark a person's life forever, good and bad. And when the power of your words is out of control of you and the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to do some serious damage in a person's life. This is why gentleness is important because it softens my words. Because gentleness is not just about not saying the wrong thing, Gentleness is about saying the right things well. And somebody did not get that. I'm gonna read that for you again. Gentleness isn't just about not saying bad things. It's about saying the right things well. The right things in a spirit of gentleness. Proverbs 18.4 says, a person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. New Song students, I've got a question for you. Have you allowed gentleness to soften your words? Are, there, are your words, if you're being honest, are your words out of control? Do you say the first thing that's on your mind and then you regret it later? Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. I found myself on this end of the spectrum all of the time growing up. And it's not that you're saying the wrong things, it's that you're not saying anything at all. And guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to help you. He wants to help lead your words. He wants to help bridle your tongue so you slow down when you're saying too much. And he also wants to empower you to say the right things well. The second thing is this, as we get ready to close. Gentleness, this is so important. Gentleness isn't surprised when people miss the mark and it helps them get back up. Gentleness when somebody sins and you're walking in the way of gentleness, guess what you don't do? <sighs> like when somebody in your family or in your life sins, they miss the mark, they hurt you. If you're walking in the way of gentleness, that's not gonna shock you because you're going to expect people to be as imperfect as you are. And gentleness isn't surprised when people miss the mark. And then because of that, we step in and we lift people up. I wanna to read to you this, this amazing story I read this week in a commentary as I was studying this out. It's, of this, it's this story of a preacher from, from years and years and years ago. It's not gonna be on the screen, so I want you to lean in with me. Picture this in your head, but it says this. One of the great preachers of the South was marvelously converted when he was a drunkard. His ministry was quite demanding and after a great deal of pressure and temptation, he got drunk one night. He was so ashamed that very next day that he called his board of deacons and turned in his resignation. He told them, I wanna resign. 
they were amazed. They asked why. He told them, frankly, I got drunk last night. A preacher should not get drunk. I want to resign. It was obvious that he was ashamed. And do you know what these wonderful deacons did? They put their arms around him and they said, let's pray. They would not accept his resignation. A man who was present in their congregation that next Sunday said, I've never heard a greater sermon in my entire life than the one that man just preached. Those deacons were real surgeons. They set a broken bone back in place. They restored him. There are some people who would have put him out of their ministry forever, but these deacons put that preacher back on his feet and God marvelously used him afterwards. This is what gentleness looks like. Gentleness isn't surprised when people sin. It helps them get back up. This, the way of gentleness is really, it's just the way of Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus restored me in a spirit of gentleness. Like Jesus wasn't surprised when I fell into sin. Jesus wasn't like, whoa, Jackson, you're a pastor. You're missing the mark, bro. I'm shocked that you missed my mark. How could you? No, no, no. Jesus steps into our messes. He carries our burdens. He models gentleness. And that comes straight from Jesus. Jesus will never throw you away. Jesus will always restore you, New Song students. Jesus' words are gentle towards you tonight. Jesus helps you get back up. He helps you walk the way of God that is laid out before you. Let that be us. Let that be us, New Song students. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.